Well, brothers and sisters, we are uh, continuing our series on the Ten Commandments. We are starting in, uh, actually, um, last week was sort of introductory, covering over the whole of the Ten Commandments and giving us the big picture. Uh, And today we are starting on the first and second of the Ten Commandments. And so I would invite you to turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter 20 or follow along on the screen there. There are a couple of things you should note. Uh, First of all, uh, unfortunately, and this was my error, in the bulletin it says scripture and then it lists the uh, Exodus passage, and it lists the Heidelberg Catechism. Just to be clear, the Heidelberg Catechism is not Scripture. Just making that clear, okay? It it should be in a separate category. It's important, it's good, it's not the Bible, okay? All right, good. Sorry about that. All right, uh, another thing that we need to make clear and remind ourselves about, which is really, really important, is what is the focus of how we are looking at the Heidelberg or at the, uh, the Ten Commandments this year? Yeah, see? All right. Fine. Fine. It's funny. Yeah, Pastor Dan. Anyways, right? So why are we looking at the Ten Commandments? What does it mean, right? We understand that in the Old Testament, before people saw Jesus as the Messiah and knew what He would do and so on and so forth, under the old system, what, does the, what do the Ten Commandments, what does the law do to us? Don't be shy. Pardon? Condemns us. Yeah, sorry, I had to see where you were, Alex. Yeah, it condemns us, right? Because it, it, it shows us when we look at those Ten Commandments and, and when we look at the heart of those Ten Commandments, that we are so terrible at keeping them. We, we are absolutely, totally incapable of keeping the Ten Commandments, the heart of those commandments, on our own, apart from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so all they are, in that context, is a burden with which we are laden, and that shows us that we're really in trouble. But of course, that's not the end. If all we had to do was keep the law, then we'd all be in deep trouble. But, praise be to God, that's not the end. And so Jesus came and He sacrificed Himself for us, sort of making up for us on our behalf the the gap between what we ought to do and what we're able to do, which is huge, right? Right? But in addition to that, Jesus also served as an example. What kind of example have we been talking about, if you can remember, over the last little while? An example of what it means to be truly human, right? See, this is the reality of our condemnation under the law, is that it it points out the fact that... (laughs) You know, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve didn't need the Ten Commandments, right? They lived as humans were meant to live, at least until they chose to disobey God. They did the good things, right? They didn't have to have a law, right? And and yet, when we fell into sin, and each and every one of us has done that individually, we lost sight. We're so messed up that we don't even really know 
what it means to live a truly human life. We're so messed up, as we've talked about before, that we, we tend to think to ourselves, well, I'm only human. I'm only human. As if, as if our lies, as if our failings, as if our temptations that we succumb to, as if all of those things were human. But they're not. They're not human. They are broken, messed up human. Human, human means something new, right? Something new that was old but is now new, right? And, and so that's the context in which we're looking at the Ten Commandments. We are looking at the Ten Commandments in terms of God giving us another guide uh, other than the example of Jesus Christ and His life, but another guide as to what it looks like to live a really, truly human life. So, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and following to verse 6. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, so now there's a couple of other things to pack, unpack. I, I mentioned last week that when we, when we talked about these commandments, we would unpack a little bit that sort of uh, those sentences that say, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me. And I know in, in our society, uh, we often struggle with that. How can God punish to the third and fourth generation? Well, well there's a whole bunch of context that's really there, really important for us. First of all, what is the goal of punishment? Parents? Pardon? Deterrence? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and ultimately, hopefully, teaching? right? And, and correcting and, and restoring to the right path, right? Like if your kid is stealing cookies all the time and you punish your kid for stealing cookies, then hopefully your kid will learn that they need to be respectful and they need to honor you as parents and your instructions and they need to not just grab cookies whenever they want because they're not really good for them. They can be a treat and when parents give it to you and all kinds of good things. So the goal of punishment is to correct, right? So this is really important. It's not like God's up there going, ha ha, I'm going to blast these guys. No, 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 no. That's not our God. Our God, if He punishes, He does so with a view to restoration, to repentance, to turning and going in the right way. Well, then you may, may ask, well, what about this three, four generations? 
just because I didn't worship God uh, properly doesn't mean my kids will do that bad thing or whatever. Okay, this is where we get the idea of generational sin. And you can understand generational sin, uh, you know, in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, But one is, for example, the habits that we build into our children, right? I, as a parent, and I'm sure you, if you are parents as well, you try to bring your kids up well, right? But maybe, maybe you have a bit of a temper. Maybe you get impatient. Maybe you get frustrated with your kids. Maybe you, maybe you don't take care of your things the way you ought to. Or maybe you don't, uh, maybe you don't care for the creation that God has given us the way that you should. Well, the, the chances are really good that your kid is going to inherit at least some of those behaviors, at least some of those problems, right? How many of you think that A, you were a perfect parent, and B, your kids have been raised to be perfect kids? Raise both hands. <laughs> yeah, Kent, you're funny. Anyways. Yeah, it's good. We'll talk with you about pride later too, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> we had to talk with the whole three generations of pridefulness. Hmm. <laughs> oh, good, good. It's good. I'm sure, though, Izzy, if you did have children, you would raise them to the very best of your ability. Absolutely, right? But, but this is the thing, right? So in order to correct a pattern in our behaviors that is generational, often God is going to have to work on that for more than one generation. I mean, let's face it. One of the things that the Christian Reformed Church sort of struggles with sometimes is our lack of enthusiasm when it comes to worship and praising the Lord our God. We're not always very good. I remember, for example, I remember when, when somebody way back in like 1980s something, right? Somebody in our congregation in Sarnia actually raised their hand during a worship service. Yeah, yeah, right? And there is somebody else who walked out, right? Because, oh, right? And, and, and it's all good to have respect and to honor God and to treat God with awe and so on and so forth. But we're sometimes a little overly stoic about some of these things, right? And it's not something that has completely gone away in the, you know, however many years since our churches were established. And so God continues to work on us. Right? So this is what generational, uh, generational sin and behaviors and inheritance can mean. And this is why God punishes the sin of those of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Right? He is trying to correct them, trying to bring them back to him, trying to bring repentance and reconciliation. But notice, of course, what he says next. But showing a love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I do some genealogical studies in my family and there is no way on earth 
that I can get back a thousand generations in my genealogical studies. There's no way, right? But that being said, not, not, not due to some great credit of our families or anything, but due to God's grace and mercy, I know that there are at least 500 years of family generations who have been a part of the Reformed sort of church movement in, in the Netherlands and in uh, the north of France and in the United States and in Canada. 500 years. And it's not because all these Zalstras or whatever were so great. It's just God's faithfulness from generation to generation. God's love. Right? So, so just had to get that out of the way and make that clear. Now we need to focus on the heart of these two commandments because these two commandments, you shall have no other gods before me and you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or earth below or in the waters below. Those things really obviously go very much hand in hand. And for the Israelites, we need to remember that this is radical stuff. Right? This is radical stuff. This is completely different from anything they have ever known. Because remember, the Israelites have just come out of captivity in Egypt. They have come out of captivity in Egypt where the Egyptians worship many, many gods, including the sun and the moon and the stars. They worship Ra and, and all kinds of stuff, right? Lots and lots of gods. But it's not just the Egyptians. Everybody in the ancient Near East worshipped multiple, multiple gods. And so a god who comes in and says, Nuh-uh, me only, that's a completely different thing. That's a whole different ball game, And this is part of the reason why God emphasizes this so much. But he also emphasizes, emphasizes it so much because this is something that, that Adam and Eve knew. They knew. They knew that there was only one God to worship. Noah and his family, they knew that there was only one God to worship. Right? They understood that. They weren't maybe perfect in it, obviously, after the fall for Adam and Eve. But they knew, but humans forgot. But it's not just a kind of passive forgetting, it's an active forgetting. You know, you know how that works, right? right? You, 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 you want to forget something, right? Like, you know, I go home today, I, we don't have any ice cream at home. Sorry, Mark. That's okay. <laughs> My friend Mark is here. I'm going I'm to pick on him in a minute. Maria, I won't pick on you, I promise. Um, but anyways, so I may have a bucket of ice cream at home, and I know that eating the whole bucket of ice cream is not good for me, but I may choose to forget. <laughs> not good for me, right? And this is what the human race had done. They had chosen to forget that there was only one God. And they had chosen to forget that for so long that this had become so entrenched worshiping many gods that it was, it was radical to think of only one God. And so God has to say to them, look, you can't, you can't worship anyone other than me. Because why? 
Well, because God deserves all the worship and praise and honor and glory. Even if, oh, and this is a hard thing to say, but it's true. Even if our God was a terrible, mean, nasty God. He's not. But even if he was, if he was the God that created everything, including us and all that stuff, he would still deserve our praise. You, you, you see a taste of that in the book of Job, right? Where, where Job is, is going through terrible, terrible things. And, and he cries out to God, why, why, why are you letting these things happen? Why did you let these things happen to me? And, and God's answer to Job is, where were you when I created the universe? Who are you to ask me these questions? And God, of course, being God, is right. Even if God was mean, we would still owe him all our worship. Thanks be to God, God is not mean, God is loving, God is love, but nonetheless, we owe him all our worship, right? And secondly, of course, it is not good for us to worship multiple things. We were designed to worship only one, and that is God. And so God is teaching the people of Israel a better way to live. And not only that, but he is teaching the people of Israel a better way to live so that they can be an example to all of these nations around them that are polytheistic. Now, what does that have to do with today? Well, this is where I need my helper. Can you be a helper for me, Mark? <laughs> I just... I just need you to come up here. <laughs> okay, so just so you know, back in university, I did comedy improv with Mark. We're not going to do a comedy show for you or anything like this. But uh, it, yeah, just over here. Okay, all right. This is my friend Mark. Yeah. Yeah, hi, Mark. Yeah. Mark is amazing. He really is. I followed his career as a teacher and a writer from afar. He's really that's not why you're here. <laughs> All right. Now I need you to hold something for me, okay? <clears throat> Just unfurl that for me, okay? Uh, <laughs> 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 you, <laughs> you want to volunteer for that part? We're still friends, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're friends. Don't worry. Yeah, we're good. We're good. Now... So here's the thing. The Bible says to us that we must love the Lord our God with what? Yeah, I, I get the sense. It's either heart, mind, soul, and strength, or heart, mind, and soul, uh, but same, same deal, right? Now, if you imagine that your heart is an arrow, right? If you imagine that your heart is an arrow... And you imagine that the target over there is whatever your heart is being aimed at, right? Think about this, right? Whatever your heart is being aimed at, I want to be entertained, right? <laughs> I'm shooting for the target. The target is the wrong target, right? 
I want to have the love and respect of my neighbors and my co-workers shooting at the wrong target, right? I want to love and honor God with everything I have. You're aiming at the right target, right? And, and, and this is the thing. In our world, there are so many targets to aim at. You know, there's entertainment, there's pleasure, there's power, there's money, there's, there's uh, so many things. Now, how often can you say that your heart is aimed at the right target? Thanks, Mark. I didn't even shoot you. I know. I know. <laughs> oh, I almost died myself, though. <clears throat> it's what I get for almost shooting at my friend. Right? It is... If you really think about that, where your heart is aimed at any given moment, for me, that thought is so overwhelming. Because so often, my heart is not aimed at loving and honoring and serving God. Like, e even with good things, right? I want to love my kid. By the way, Gwyneth and our other two children are gone right now, so Lydia's stuck with me. Right? So I want to, I want to love my kid. But if that's, if that's the target, loving my kid, then I hate to tell you, that's the wrong target. If my target is loving God, and I know that loving God means loving my kid, that's the right target. Amen. Right? Same with my wife, same with my job, same with everything else. Right? So where is your heart aimed? This highlights, in a way, the condemnation of the law. Because when we really understand what it actually means to love the larger, Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, when we understand that is aiming our heart at the right target all the time, and we really poke at ourselves to find out where we're at on that, we realize how far away we are. Now, Let's see what the catechism says to confirm or deny what Pastor Dan has said. Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 94. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? That I, not wanting to endanger my very salvation, avoid and shun all idolatry, magic, superstitious rites, and prayer to saints or other creatures that I sincerely acknowledge the only true God, trust Him alone, look to Him for every good thing, humbly and patiently love Him, fear Him, honor Him with all my heart. In short, that I give up anything rather than go against His will in any way. Question and answer 95. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts in the place of or alongside of the only true God who has revealed himself in this world. 
I trust in my brains to make good sermons every week. I trust in my academic bible studies. I trust in my dramatic flair. I trust in... Uh, I need to trust in God. You've often heard me say, I think many of you, uh, if you come and you, you, you share with me um, how a message has impacted you or, or whatever, uh, I, I really appreciate the positive words. But I'll often say thank you God is good. And that's not, that's not because my heart is always aimed at the right place. It is because I am reminding myself that any gifts that I may have, any ability to speak with you, any ability to help or whatever, it comes from God. And I need that reminder. Right? Brothers and sisters, it could seem like a hopeless case. But then Jesus comes along. And this is where the grace in this whole thing really comes in. Because Jesus comes and not only reminds us what, what wholehearted, single-minded, single-souled, single-strength devotion to God is. He shows us what it is day after day after day and what it looks like. But then He also, He also sends His Holy Spirit to live in us to help us to grow into the fullness of Christ our Lord so that we can increasingly be not idolaters. We can grow in being free from idolatry so that we're not weighed down by the burden of our sin and guilt, but instead we are living in the truth of what it means to be human. So, brothers and sisters, we are an example because of Jesus Christ to this world of what it means to be worshiping God heart, mind, soul, and strength. What it means to be really human. And we're not necessarily the greatest example in the world. But by God's grace, through the power of His Holy Spirit, through the communion of saints, through the encouragement and strengthening and admonition of loved ones around us, we can grow more and more in the freedom of worshiping God alone. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so very much that you created us, that you designed us, that you knew us before the foundation of the world, that you knit us together in our mother's wombs, that you created us to love and to be loved. And Lord, that you created us as image bearers. Image bearers who were created to love you, heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Father, help us, we pray. Help us to more and more aim our heart's arrow at the correct target. May we aim to love you. And whether we are relaxing on the beach May it be in a praise and worship to You for the glory of creation and the gift of rest. Or whether we are working, working with our muscles, let it be praise and honor and glory to You 
that you have given us the ability for that. If we work with our minds, if we work, if we play, whatever we do, O God, help our hearts arrow to be aimed towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.